All right, everybody, take your Bibles this morning. Turn to whatever book you want. Let's turn to Hesitations. Actually, let's go to Exodus. Why don't we start there? Can we start in Exodus this morning? Exodus. I started last week um, a series. I don't know how long my series go because they just go until I'm done. So I started a a series last week on grace. And it is such a a vast, enormous subject. Um, It just keeps developing as I'm reading and and just praying through it. But uh, I want to talk this morning... I talked about grace last week, for those of you who may not have been here, out of Jude, and how we sometimes turn grace, we turn the Bible, we turn Christianity, Christianity into things that they aren't really, but we base them off of a generation that came before us, and not really coming back to the Word of God and really finding out what they are. A lot of times our Christianity is based on the Christian culture we live in, not on good Bible doctrine. And it's, and it's unfortunate because we've drifted away from a lot of the pure meaning of the gospel. I'm not saying I have it all. I'm not saying that we have it all. I'm just simply saying it would behoove us to start to listen to what Holy Spirit is saying when we individually read the word, to get back into it. It's not, I tell people all the time, especially when I teach at YWAM bases and stuff, I said, you can read your Bible to learn, but don't just read it to learn. Read it to hear. Because it's the voice of God. It's the voice that you're looking for. It's not to try to build some kind of theology or doctrine. All those things, ultimately, in the end, are going to fall to the wayside when we come face to face with me, when we meet him and we realize just how wrong we are in our doctrine. Hello, you with me? The main thing is about an encounter with a living God who's removed obstacles. He's reconciled the world to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is what it's about. This is not a fad for me. It's not something I will be on for a little while. This is my life message. It's about coming back to what God has done inside of us and what that means to us in our connection with him and what it means to us in our connection with the world around us. Do you know you carry the kingdom of God inside of you? You know that, right? Yeah, let it out. Let it out. Do you know that you've been brought so fully into the Trinity that if you were any more inside the Trinity, you'd be a threat? Is that offensive? I'm not making it up, guys. If you look at the Word of God, look at the comprehensiveness of Scripture, the whole design of it was intimacy and oneness with God. That's the way it started in the garden, right? Man falls. Jesus restores. He has brought us back into an unhindered relationship with him. Well, Andrew, I do things wrong. Well, I do too. But just please understand that whenever you and I do something wrong, it might remove our awareness from him, but it does not remove us from him. And it certainly does not remove him from us. Well, I feel a bunny path coming on there. I'm not going to. I'm going to restrain myself today. <laughs> Exodus chapter 14. I want to talk about grace. I want to, this morning I want to talk about grace that empowers. Last week we drove it home a number of times that grace is not a cover for sin. Everybody say that with me. Grace is not a cover for sin. What is grace then? Well, we're going to spend the next few weeks unpacking it because I know that it's not a cover for sin. We tend to look at it that way because we have a misunderstanding of how grace really works. 
Exodus chapter 14. What I want to talk about is I'm going to use an Old Testament passage, a gospel, and then I'm going to take it into the New Testament, talking about how grace empowers, and it's been the design of God from day one, for grace to empower us, for grace to be the very thing that propels us in life. Anybody need more grace? Amen. Yeah, me too. I need grace all the time. Why? Because it's what empowers me to move, it empowers me to live. In Exodus chapter 14, I'll give you a little background, then we're going to start reading in, uh, in 13. And the background of Exodus 14 is the people of Israel have been set free from Pharaoh. They're out in the wilderness. They're headed out to go worship. And Pharaoh decides, uh-uh, I'm going to get them back. He takes off to pursue the Israelites. And the, the Egyptians, as they get closer to the Israelites, the Israelites see them and they start complaining and doing those things that they do really well. Are there not enough graves in Egypt? Why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? Because now they're caught between Pharaoh's army and a river, and they're boxed in. And here is what Moses says to them. Listen, you're going to like this word. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. That sound like a good word? Yes. A few of you got it. Shall I read it again? Yes. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. That's a good word, right? That's a strong declarative. This is what God's going to do for you, right? Have you guys ever made declarative statements like that before? Right? Well, Moses is doing it right here. Have you guys ever made declarative statements like Moses did right there, only to find you were like 75% right? 90% right? I don't know what happens between verse 14 and verse 15, but somehow Moses begins to question the word that he just gave to the Israelites. And it begins to have this conversation with God. And look what it says here in verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? You guys ever cry out to God? I don't know what happened between verse 14 and 15, but something happened there. And it's a bit of a speculation, but he makes this declarative statement. It says, watch, stand still. God's going to move. He's going to fight for you. You're going to hold your peace. You're not going to have to do anything. And then in verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Now, is that the word that he just gave the people of Israel? No, he said, stand still. Have you guys ever done that? You've never, have you ever made a declarative statement and found that the heart of it was correct, but it wasn't totally correct? You're like 75%, 85%, 90% there, right? How many times do you make declarative statements like that, and then you run back to God and go, God, just make it happen. Come on, do me a favor here. Come on, just do me a favor. Hold it together for me, would you? I made this statement right here, and it resonated with everybody, so just hold it together and make it happen, right? What do we call that? When we go to God and we start talking to him, this isn't a trick question. What do we call it? Prayer. Right? It's not a trick question here. What, is it, what do we do? When, what, do? what do we call it when we go to God and we start talking to him? It's prayer. It's conversation, right? When you're having conversation with God, it's all prayer. Which, by the way, prayer 
cannot be reduced to something you do just for a few minutes, or if you're really, really good and holy, you do for a few hours each day. Prayer is, yeah, it's more than just a lifestyle. It's life itself. It's communication. It's ongoing communication. I was speaking at a YWAM a number of years ago, and I think I may have told this story before, but it's worth telling again. We were talking a little bit about prayer. And we got done with the class, and I went into the lunchroom, and we all sat down. It was one of the big cafeteria things. And I sat down and got something to eat. One of the students came up to me, and I was looking at my plate or something, and they said, oh, I'm sorry, did I interrupt your prayer? And I kind of laughed a little bit, and I said, I think that's funny that you can't interrupt. You think you can't interrupt my prayer? It never stops. I can have a conversation with any individual on the planet and be praying with God the entire time. Does this make sense? Why do we, it's oftentimes we do this. We're the ones that bring the separation with God when it comes to prayer. Prayer is an ongoing way of life. It, it's, it's something that should be a part of our everyday conversation with every person that we're having. I don't know why it is we take the creator, omnipotent, omniscient, power person of God, and we put him off into a corner as if we're having a conversation with someone and he's not there. You ever done that before? You ever run into somebody before that maybe you don't even know, you don't even know that well, but you start to talk and you find out you're both believers? Have you ever had that happen? Yeah, you're, you're both Christians, you're both believers, you didn't know that, and you're talking to them. Isn't it really interesting how at that moment it's really neat and, and awesome and stuff, but how come it is that sometimes we begin to have conversations about God like he's some mutual friend that's off somewhere over there? Hello? When he's like right there in the middle of us all the time. That's what prayer really is. I mean, whether it's a stranger or somebody you know, prayer is the ongoing presence of God in communication that we're having all the time. Prayer at its very, very core is simply coming into agreement with God. And how do you do that? Well, you listen to him an awful lot. And when you listen to him an awful lot, you hear him, you start to recognize his voice. When Jesus says that in John 10, my sheep know my voice. We, when we pray, we become so familiar with who he is that it's like, yeah, every moment, everywhere you go, you're hearing him speak to you. Is this making sense? So here's Moses. He's making this declaration and he's at some level, he's second-guessing himself for doing something, but he's crying out to God enough so that we know the word says that God replies back to him, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to move forward. This happened once again. I see this in, a, in Mark chapter 8. Do you remember when the disciples were on the boat? And a couple of times they were on the boat. But they were on the boat, and the waves and the wind started kicking up, and the boat's going like crazy everywhere, and they look and see Jesus, and where's he? He's asleep. In the back of the boat. And they go and start to pray. Right? Well, actually they did. They go and they start to pray. Because what did they do? They run to the back of the boat and go, Jesus, don't you care? I don't know if they were shaking him or not, but that's the way I picture it. Don't you care? We're about to die. What were they doing? Well, he was physically there, so they're praying. What am I trying to get at here? We sometimes think that the strength in our spirituality is found in our prayer life. And it's not. It's found in his presence. It's found in that ongoing voice that you hear all the time that you don't have to run and go pray because you are prayer. David says that I have become prayer. It is part of who I am. It's who I am inside. So I don't have to go run to God to do something. Here's Moses making a declaration and turning around and somehow saying something to God so that at least we know that God has to reply and say, why are you crying out to me? Tell these people to move forward. 
Sometimes, ultimately, here's what I'm looking at. Here's what I'm looking for right here. Sometimes we are looking for him to answer a prayer for us instead of answering it through us. Hello? We go to God in prayer and we petition and we lay things out there and then we slip into what I call passive Christianity. God, will you do this? And I'm going to sit and wait to see if you do something. When oftentimes he's saying, listen, move forward. With the disciples in the boat, remember, they went and went to him and said, please, will you please help us, help us? Don't you care that we're about to die here? And he says, you of little faith. We think that if we're praying, we have high levels of faith. Are you connecting the dots with me here this morning? It's not so much in that. It's in recognizing the constant of who he is inside of us. And at times, he's looking to move through us instead of for us. I, um, has anybody in here ever taken the strength finders test? It's a, it's a test that tries to find your main strengths. I guess they've boiled it down to 32 or 36 main strengths throughout humanity. And they have numbers of them. And I've taken the test twice and activator. Yeah. And I passed actually. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Activator is one of those strengths that came up. That's just kind of part of the way I'm wired. And the way they describe it is you're the kind of person that's like, if you need to go somewhere, you'll take off in the car. You won't worry about GPS or anything. You'll just take off driving. And if you hit a red light, you'll make a left turn or a right turn or whatever to get around the red light. And you'll find your way there eventually. But it's about moving. It's about going. I'm like, ready, fire, aim. It kind of works like that a lot. It's a good strength if it's used in the right way. But it has its downsides to it. You can ask my wife. We'll get in the car to go somewhere, and I will start driving, literally. I will start driving, and she's like, well, let me get the directions. I'm like, I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm going. (laughs) You enter it, and wherever that thing picks it up on the GPS, we'll move from there. But right now, I am driving. I don't care if I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm moving. So I have this natural thing inside of me. It's for movement anyway. So things like this really inspire me when I see things like this, where it's like he's crying out, making the declaration, and saying something to God, enough to where God has to reply to him, why are you standing there? Move forward. Same thing with the disciples. Why do you have such little faith? And then he stands up and rebukes the wind and the waves and everything comes to a, to a, to a halt. It becomes calm at that point. How many of us, would, how many of you would like that? To where we would stop living in a passive Christianity. We would start living in an active Christianity that just recognizes God is in me. He's with me. I got the kingdom of God inside of me and I can declare to the wind and the waves, stop. I can declare... We can move forward into the water even though it seems like it's impassable, right? Uh, You're connecting the dots with me this morning. Where we face obstacles in our life where they seem insurmountable and it's simply because we're thinking about our lives from a natural plane instead of a supernatural plane. We've talked about it before. The natural is a reality. It's just the inferior reality. The spirit realm is... The kingdom of God, that's the superior reality. And the superior reality always makes the inferior reality reality give way. Hello? I don't feel like you're with me this morning. Somebody say amen to that. Yeah. So Moses, he gets the heart of the word right, but it's not totally there yet, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we're waiting for him to move or say something when he's saying to us the whole time, get up, start walking. Why do we do this? We prefer to find a legal way to live our Christian life. We do. 
It's so much easier. If somebody would just simply say to us, you're supposed to do it like this, then we would say, okay, I'll do it like this. And then we live our Christian life. Let me tell you, church, this is what gets us in trouble. I'm serious. And I feel the weight of this all the time because I know how easy it is for me to sit in chairs like you're sitting in, listen to somebody like me talking, listen to what they say and go, oh, wow, that's awesome. That's wonderful. I'm going to do that. Instead of really getting into the word and finding out, is this really true? Is this really? You hear what I'm saying? We're all students of the word. We should all be students of the word. We're digging in. I hope you don't ever take what I'm saying to you and go, that's, that's just it. I hope what I'm saying is right. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Ultimately, church, our life is not in the instruction. People call this an instruction manual. I don't really think that's what it is. It's words on a page is what it is. It's not, and if we reduce it down to an instruction manual, manual what we're going to live is a lifeless, striving, religious, no fun life. I don't, are you guys with me this morning? Come on. I don't, I've done that. I know what that's like to reduce this down to principles to live by. I like what Bill Johnson says about it. He says the Christian life is, life is not about principles. It's about passion. Principles are like the seat belts in your car. They'll keep you from getting hurt if you're in an accident or if things get bad. But the seat belts are not what propel you down the road. It's the engine. Hello. It's the power. It's the presence of God. The strength is in the voice. Why am I speaking about all this when it comes to grace and powers? Because I'm trying to show us, listen, there is something about in the presence of God that's where grace resides. It's in his voice. It's not just listening to the instruction in his voice. It's listening to the voice itself. I know this sounds a little transcendent, a little ethereal, but hopefully you can can connect the dots with you this morning. It's about the voice. So much of communication, even with us in our humanity, is not about the words. And you know what I'm talking about if you've ever received a text or an email from someone and you don't know the tone of their voice. Right? Have you ever gotten something like an email or something and you're sitting there going, I can't tell if they're ticked off. I don't know if they're mad. I don't know what this is about. Why? It's because so much of the voice communicates the heart. It's not just in the words itself. We have to be careful with this. What I'm talking about this morning is grace that empowers. And the empowerment is not found in the instructions itself. It's found in the voice itself. It's found in the inflection. It's found in the, in the way it's brought to us. So much of the voice of God when it comes to the word, because Jesus says the words that I speak to you are spirit and they're life, right? They're not instructions because they're spirit in their life. So, so much of the words that he speaks to us, we have to listen with a different kind of ear. I think that's why Jesus says over and over, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When we get into Revelation and he's speaking to the churches, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, we try to take the actual words themselves and build doctrines on them when we're not really catching what is the heart behind what he's trying to say there. Hello, you're tracking with me. It's not in the instruction. It's not even found in the watching and the waiting. Those things are good. Don't misunderstand me. They're very, very good, but it's in the voice. That's where the grace lives. That's where the empowerment lives. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 for a minute. I am the book of Ephesians. Somebody told me that once. 
concerning me. I love this book. Did you know it's the only New Testament book that Paul wrote to the church? It all, out of all of them, it's the only letter that was written to the church that doesn't have correction in it. And it's very lofty. It's very, very lofty, Ephesians. It's very high. It's very... It's, it's, if we try to take the book of Ephesians and treat it like principles and instructions, we miss the very heart of what God's trying to communicate. I think that's why I love this book so much. Because he starts here in Ephesians chapter 2. Not only does he go through this wonderful apostolic prayer in chapter 1, but in, ver- in chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, he says this, But God, now listen to this, but listen with your heart. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us. Come on, if that doesn't move you, you're not hearing it. But God. But God. Let me back up a little bit. Let's go back to verse 3. Because he's talking about us and the way we used to be. Among whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and, by, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now, we like to hold on to stuff like that and say, this is who I am. Church, that is not who you are. Look at what the next verse says. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Okay, church, you get what's going on there? Absorb this for a minute. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I've asked you before, I'll ask you again. How many choices do dead men make? Something to ponder here. When we were dead in trespasses, he what? Made us alive together with Christ. And he says this, by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. Let me talk about that word saved for just a moment. If I say to you, I'm saved, what's the first thought that comes to your mind? Come on, I'm asking a question. What's that? I'm a Christian. Another one. Come on, throw them out there. If I say to you, I'm saved, what does that tell you? What does that mean? It means I was lost. Yeah. I've accepted Christ. I'm going to heaven. I'm protected. Okay. Give me five. That's the one I was looking for. They're all good. I mean, they're all, they're all great. I'm going to heaven. We think about that. We think about salvation having to do with something strictly about our eternity. And while it does have something to do with our eternity, no doubt about it, and that's critically important, the word saved is the the Greek word sozo. But it does not just mean saved as some future expectancy. The word actually can be translated kept or in keeping. So my salvation, listen church, my salvation is not just about my eternity. It's an ongoing way of life. It's the way God keeps me. I need salvation for my future, absolutely, but I need it right now. I need it right, I need it in every single moment. And if we have a misunderstanding of what salvation really is, we'll put it off into some distant future that when I die, I'm going to heaven. And that's only a little 
piece of this thing. Salvation is so much great. Come on, this is good news, isn't it? Salvation is way, way, way more than that. It's about the restoring, not just of my sinful nature to a nature that takes on his nature. Come on, that's a good word right there. You take on, listen, Peter tells us this, that you and I, because of the work of Jesus, have been made partakers of his what? Divine nature. Oh, so I don't have a sinful nature? No, you do not. That offends some people. I don't know why. You do not have a sinful nature anymore. Look at Romans 6. Read it. Use my eyes if you need to. Read it. It's so clear. You have been buried with Christ. Absolutely. He took, the, he took our, the, the sin of humanity and the very nature itself, and he took it into the grave, and when he came out, he left it right there. As a matter of fact, you want a good picture of what that looks like? Do you remember on the Ark of the Covenant, there were two angels, two cherubim, that had their wings like this, and they were facing each other, and what was it called right underneath that spot? The mercy seat, right? How many of us need mercy? Okay, why? Because of our sin, right? We don't need grace for our sin. Grace is not a cover for sin. We need mercy, when Jesus took the sin of all humanity and our sinful nature and he took it on him at the cross, it was buried, he was put in the grave, he came out of the grave. Do you remember what was left sitting there when he came out? Yes, clothes were left sitting there, but do you remember when they looked in, what did they see? They saw two angels, one at the head and one at the foot. Why? The mercy seat shifted. Everything was left in the grave. That was the mercy seat right there. It, come on, isn't that good news? You and I do not carry around a sinful nature. But Andrew, I do sinful things sometimes. I know that. You're just acting contrary to your nature. When you're saved, you don't lose the ability to sin. You just lose the ability to enjoy it. Because it doesn't ever satisfy. Right? Come on, I'm hoping this is helping this morning. It's hard for me to look at stuff like this without having an eye towards evangelism. Because if we compartmentalize our lives and say, I'm the saved, I'm the going to heaven, you're the not to somebody, what are we essentially saying? We're saying to him, I know something, and I'm better off than you. When that's really not true. When really the gospel message is, you know what? I know exactly what you're talking about. And I bought into that lie too. And I believed it. And it led me to what I was doing. How about we believe in the person of Jesus? Listen, any sin that still remains in our life and sin patterns that still remain in our life, here's what it comes down to. Are you ready? You're believing a lie. You're believing a lie. That's what takes us into sin. Go back to the Garden of Eden. What caused sin in the first place? Believing the lie. What does it say of Satan? He's a liar. He's a father of lies. That's all he can do is lie. That's all he can do. He's not a creative being. He's a created being. And all he can do is counterfeit the true. We had our marriage retreat yesterday, a bunch of us in here. It was really, really fun. And Joe over here, Joe Polozola, he is like the quintessential dream interpreter. He's just very gifted at it. If you have dreams, go see him. I just messed you up, didn't I? Yeah. Go, see, go see Joe. 
he was talking about this to some extent. He was talking about how he will interpret dreams, and he's been in places down, you know, on the street kind of thing, interpreting dreams, and people think that he's some kind of like a medium or something like that. And he gave us some information on this that was really, really helpful because all that is, all a, what do you call him? A spiritist or whatever you call him? Psychic. All a psychic does is, can they tell what's going on in a spirit? Absolutely. Absolutely they can. It's just, think about this for a minute. The word psychic comes from the Greek word suke. And it means soul. It doesn't mean spirit. It means soul. So all psychics are doing are reading something that has to do with something soulish. We as believers have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we connect spirit with spirit. There's the difference. So this shouldn't freak us out. I know Dave, he has his signs. He'll take those down there sometimes with some of the OSSM students and others that'll hold, hold up signs saying free spiritual readings. That offends some, some Christians. I, I love it. Free spiritual readings. Well, if you go to a psychic, you're not really getting a spiritual reading. You're getting a soulish reading. Because that's what a psychic does. They're, yeah, and they're not free. Man, I didn't think about that. That's good. Dude. Dave, you might be able to start charging for this. Oh, yeah, I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. (laughs) Salvation is for the soul as well as it's for the spirit. That's what I'm saying. Salvation is for the soul as well as it is for the spirit. And guys, we just went through a whole series talking about this, and I feel it's so critically important for us to not get off of it. We need to be healthy in our soul. We need to be healthy in our soul. It's right. It's godly. It's biblical. When John writes to the church later on, some 70, 80 years after the birth of Christ, so we're talking maybe 50 years after, we're we're a generation after the crucifixion at this point, and John the disciple, the beloved one, writes to the church and he said, I would that you would be in good health and prosper even as your soul prospers. That's so important because so much of how we view life comes from what we have right here inside of our soul. Thank God we're spirit-led, we're not soul-led people, but at the same time, this filter sometimes gets in the way. This thing down here called the soul, it gets in the way. So salvation is not just about your eternity. Are you with me this morning? It's about everyday life. I need salvation every time I go somewhere, every time I walk out the door, every time I walk in the door. So when he says this in verse 5 here, you, by grace, you have been saved. Are you catching this? The grace empowers that by grace, you have been saved. By grace, my salvation in my spirit happened. But the salvation I need in my soul, the ongoing, how does it happen? By grace. I want to talk to this side of the room. <laughs> By grace, the salvation that you need ongoing in your life, how does it happen? It happens by grace. This is what grace does. It empowers us. It empowers us. This ought to give us new even understanding. When we hear that wonderful song by John Newton, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Right? Now I found. Right? 
"'Twas grace that brought me, what? This far. And it's grace that's going to lead me home. In other words, grace is the very thing. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit. I get that. But there's this thing about grace that if we understand it correctly, it has inside of it every resource of heaven, every divine resource of heaven. How do I know that? Because I saw it happen here in Exodus with Moses. I see it happen with the disciples in the boat. And he says to them, what are you doing? Andrew's paraphrase. Move forward because I brought you out of your bondage. I've given you everything you need. First Peter says that to us, everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us. Come on, that's a good word. Everything that we need. So it's not about sitting there going, God, will you do this? God, will you do that? God, will you do this? How about we listen, get the voice resonating in our head, recognizing that by the grace of God, this salvation is an ongoing way of life and I keep moving forward. I see this happen. I see it happen to a lot in this Y generation or the millennial generation. People who really want to serve God, they really want to give their life and they go after God in a big way. They want to be the, the forerunners. They want to be of the new generation. I'm saying, yes, 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 let's lay hands on you. Let's go do that. But listen, you've got to move. You've got to move. Sitting in a room, praying all the time, waiting to get a word from the Lord is nice, but at some point you've got to get out and start walking. It's easier to move a car when it's moving, or steer a car when it's moving, right? When it's moving, it actually can be steered. And if you don't believe me, look in Philippians 3. It talks about that. Philippians 3. Here's where Paul is laying all this stuff out there saying, listen, I was the best of the best. Born of the tribe of Benjamin. Trained under Gamaliel. A Pharisee of Pharisees. But I count that stuff like poop. That is what he says. In an appropriate translation, it will say that. But I press on towards the high calling. For that which has laid hold of me, I'm going after it. I am really going to go after this thing. But it says in verse 16, it says, Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, whatever I've received from God until this point, let us walk by that same rule. Let us be of that same mind. And if anything else you think otherwise, even God will reveal this to you. In other words, take what you know to be true, start moving. And if you're going in the wrong direction, just trust that this is what grace does. It's the voice, it comes in and it goes bump and it puts you right back on path, on your path again. Is this making sense? This is what grace does. It empowers us. It empowers us to live the very thing. Oh, and get this, the desire that you have in your heart that God placed there, it empowers you to do that as well. What? I can, have, I can do things that I have desires in my heart for? Yes, you can. Come on. Come on. Let's don't chalk things up to this kind of spirituality that says, oh, not me, but only you, God. It's like taking the very creative art that he's made with all of its nuances and its little intricacies, the way you look, the way you think, the desires of your heart. It's like taking all of that stuff and saying, God, it's not good enough. I need you to do something else. It doesn't matter what I want, only what you want. That sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? You know what it is? It's prideful. That's really what it is. Okay, I'm stepping on toes again. Look at verse 7 here. No, verse 6, because this is my favorite one. And, this is what God's done, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
So he took you from dead, made you alive, and then made you alive and took you up to heaven and made you sit with him. Where do you live? Hello. Where do you live? That would make sense, right? Because when a believer dies, where do they go? And did you die? Yeah, because you're crucified with him. There's no lack in heaven, is there? No. And where do you live? All right, just trying to see if this is connecting at all. Where do you live? Oh, okay. And there's no lack in heaven. So you have everything you need. Okay. Just, yeah, just checking with you. Verse 7. <clears throat> this is why, guys. If there's any reason why we still live on this planet in our natural earthly bodies, I believe it's for this right here. Verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Good. Somebody said it. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In other words, grace is still giving off. It's still giving off life. So the grace was not for a moment to get me out of something. The grace is this thing of life and empowerment that I live this way. And when I live in that, the exceeding riches of his goodness and his kindness in grace are being shown to a world around us. Come on, that's good news, isn't it? You want to see somebody around you that's lost, that's caught in bondage, that's caught in addiction, that's caught in anything other than just living in the full life that God has desired for them? You want to see somebody get out of that stuff? Start thinking like this. And the goodness of the riches of God, the kindness of him and his grace start getting revealed to the world around you. I know what it's like, guys. I've mentioned this before. I know what it's like to have somebody come to me and say, I don't know what that is on you, but I want that. I had somebody say that to me one time. Playing in a rock band. Wasn't even a Christian thing. Playing in a rock band. It was the accordion player. That doesn't shock you? It was a Celtic thing. This guy played button accordion. It looked like a typewriter that he squeezed. It was a cool little thing. But we were playing a gig, and we walked outside on a break. And I just remember being so full of the Spirit. Everything was just mesmerized by the goodness of God. So full. We walk outside on a break, and we're standing out there. He's... I walk out, I stand by him. I was smoking too. No, I wasn't. He goes, I don't know what that is on your life, but I want some of that stuff. You know what that was? It was grace. It was grace exuding off. Why? Because it's divine empowerment. I can always tell when people get offended, they leave. Bad. It's, it's really bad when it's my wife. Hey, hon, you going to be home when I get there? Okay. <laughs> Verse 8. For by grace you have been what? Saved. Saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's what? Yeah. The gift of God. In other words, you can't earn it. 
You can, this empowerment, this divine voice, this ecstatic living in this euphoric place with him where grace abides, it resounds, it's this ongoing, oh, it just feels so good to talk about it. You can't do anything to get it. You can't earn it. You remember in, I think it's Luke 15, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, Luke 15, where we have the story of what we call the prodigal son, but really is not the prodigal son. It's the story of a man who had two sons. And if you look at it, that's what Jesus is saying. It's not the story of the prodigal son. It starts with, there was a man who had two sons. We put the focus on the prodigal one because we like that kind of stuff. I was such a bad person. I did it so wrong. I did it. Listen, more times than not, we're not that son. We're the other son. We're the son that thinks we got it together. Remember, he had two sons. One takes the inheritance, runs off, squanders it, loses it, comes to a place where he's saying, I'm not worthy to be even my dad's servant. I'm eating pig slop here. This isn't the way. I'm going to go back there and I'm going to say, Dad, take me back in. I'll be one of your servants. Right? And what does the dad say? You know the story. Puts a robe on him, puts sandals on him, put a ring on him, brings him in, kills the fatted calf, has this big celebration, and doesn't even acknowledge the request of his son to say, can I come back and work for you as a servant? He doesn't even acknowledge it. He never answers the question. He just shouts to everybody else, my son is back. Then you have the other son who's saying to God, essentially in this story, he's saying, didn't I just do all these things right? I've always been here. As a matter of fact, the story says that he came out from working in the field, being in the field. So what is he doing? He's working, and the other one's squandering. But when, they both, when it both comes to a head, what's, what are they trying to do to get something from their father? They're both working. I'm gonna, I'll do this. If I do this, maybe he'll let me back in. You hear where I'm going with this? And then the older one's saying, I've been working for you. And the father replies, Everything I have is yours, and it always has been. Why are you so upset that I'm killing this fatted calf for this one? Your brother, he's back. Why are you so upset? You see, God's thinking is always about, you know what? You're just as much my son, and you're just as much my son. You can't work for grace. You just got to come to him. You come to him and say, yeah, everything that I need, I know that you have it in your house. Everything is in your house. Whether you wandered away or whether you stayed there in the religious practices that have worn you out and I know you're tired from them, stop doing that and just come back to a place of grace. Verse 10. I love this. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. What? For good works which God, what? Prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, I've said this before, it's worth repeating. Workmanship, the Greek word there is poema. It's where we get the word poem. You're his poem. You're his poem. And he wrote you, and it's so beautiful, and it's so perfect. You are his, are you getting this? You are his poem. And here's the deal. This is what grace looks like when it empowers you. When you start to discover the poem, and you start to read it, it releases that grace to a world around you because those were things that he's created beforehand for you to walk in. And when you start to discover it, you start to release it to everybody that's around you. Come on, does this feel good? This is what grace does. Does the world need grace? Do I need grace? Do you need grace? Yes, absolutely. Well, we can't work for it. Just receive it. It's a free gift. Everybody stand with me here.
I wrote a definition for grace here, but I've written it like 15 times. It's so hard. So this is the latest version. Grace. God taking up residence in a people, empowering them to live beyond their natural capabilities, ultimately revealing the majesty and the glory of the Father. That'll probably change by next week, but I'll read it again. Grace is God taking up residence in a people, empowering them to live beyond their natural capabilities, revealing the majesty and the glory of the Father. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. When Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall, I'm going to end with this. And it finally comes to a place of completion. This is Old Covenant, church. They place the capstone, the last stone, and they shout, grace, grace, grace to it. How do you think it got accomplished? There is not a lack of grace in the kingdom. There's too much of our self in it. There's too much of our self-life, too much of our self-will trying to produce something. I was having a conversation with someone late, earlier this week. It's about we think that we're building a kingdom a lot, the kingdom a lot of times, and what we're doing is we're playing in the sand, building sand castles, saying, look what I've built here. And the first wave knocks it down. And when the kingdom doesn't even look like that, it's so much greater, it's so much broader than that. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of God doesn't look like anything other than people. Hello? It's people. but we'll go down that road at another time. All right, hold your hands out here. All right, Father, because you give grace for free and we can't earn it, we can't do anything because if we we try to earn it, then we start boasting about it, saying, look what I've done. So, Father, I'm praying for all of us right now that a new revelation and a, a deeper understanding of this grace deposit of you inside of us would become so more real, become more real than anything I can see with my natural eyes. Lord, help us to see what that looks like because your word tells us that the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are unseen, those are the eternal things. So Lord, show us what eternal, unseen grace really looks like. Lord, and if I can't see it, I definitely want to feel it. I want it to have it down deep inside of me. That empowering grace that takes me into new places, that takes me into rivers that look impassable, that takes me through storms that seem absolutely impossible to make it through without dying. That kind of grace, Lord God, that kind of grace, Lord, I I pray you show that to us at a deeper, deeper, deeper level and put it on us. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen, 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 amen.